0: We're going to turn now to, the, uh, to God's Word, uh, Exodus chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 8 and read to verse 11, and then we're going to skip to, to Exodus 23 and, and read a, f- a few verses there as well. Hear the Word of the Lord. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Skipping down to Exodus 23, verse 10. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its its yield. But the seventh year you you shall let it rest and lie fallow that the poor of your people may eat. And And what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, teach us about your rest, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So this morning, uh, we're looking at the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments about keeping the Sabbath. And I have to say, I love this commandment that before you shall not steal or you shall not murder or, you know, shall not commit adultery, all important Commands for any society to obey, God gives this instruction that it is a moral law that you rest. It's a moral imperative, a command in your life to rest. This is surprising, and I think uh, this uh, fourth commandment is important to think about in terms of who this was being said to. This was uh, given in Exodus to the the. Uh, Exodus community, the community of the Israelites who had just come out of slavery. And if you imagine that they had any time to rest as slaves, you can go back to Exodus chapter 5 and you can read about the oppression they had and all the burdens that were put on them in Egypt and what good news it would have been, what how precious this command would be to hear, no, you're not slaves any longer. You need to, you're need you going to take a day of rest and that's how I'm going to show you that you're not slaves any longer. And I think that this commandment is also precious to us as Christians. Um, The Christian life is a full life. The Christian life has a lot of burdens to carry. You know, if if you become a Christian, you have all the burdens of regular human life about you. You've got your work and your family and all these things that you have to take care of, and then you have this added burden that, you know, you're a part of God's kingdom, and, you know, to serve and to do ministry, and, and uh, you know, I read a, a book uh, several years ago on prayer, and the, it was by a pastor, and he said, you know, often if someone says, I'm going to give my life to serving Jesus, you will find yourself being very busy, because life is already busy, and then you need to care for many other people. You need to be involved in ministries. You got to carry all these burdens, and, uh, but one of the things that I find surprising is that none of the Ten Commandments tell you to do ministry. But you do have a, a commandment that tells you to rest. Why is that? Why would God not command us to do ministry, but he would command us to rest? I'll try to illustrate. Uh, this last summer when I was on vacation, I injured my back really badly. Uh, I, was moving, I was loading up my car, and my back seized up. I was excruciating pain. I was lying in the middle of the street, and couldn't move. And the week after that, my family and I would go every year to Lake Cushman, which is on uh, the Olympic Peninsula, and it's one of my favorite things in the world, to swim with my children in Lake Cushman every summer. And so we get there, and we're all worried that, you know, I'm going to be swimming in the lake, and my back's going to seize up, and I'm going to drown, and, and should I be swimming? Should I not be swimming? So we made this game where we would practice with the kids, I have five kids, what they would do if, I, if my back seized up and I was drowning. And so I'd start yelling for help, and Shannon would be on the, on the deck, and she'd take the lifesaver ring and throw it to the kids, and then they'd put it around my head and all try to tread water and bring me to shore and rescue me. I have to say, the whole process was a miserable failure, okay? If it really happened, I would have drowned, you know? Because they're treading water and they're pushing my face into the water. But one of the times when we're practicing, Shan throws the ring in and my son Henry gets a hold of the ring and he puts the ring on himself. And all the other kids say, Henry, Dad is drowning and you're putting the ring on yourself. And everyone gets mad at him. He says, How selfish. Then he swims over and he picks me up by himself. And he could have brought me to the shore all by himself because he put the ring on himself. And what Henry realized is that the only way he's going to be any good to me is, that, is if he floats before I float. He needs to float first. And uh, that is how the Christian life is. You need to receive God's love and rest yourself. You need to float before you can give God's love and rest to others. And that has to be a regular pattern of your life that I need to receive before I give. That's why the commandment is not to do ministry. The commandment is to rest so that you float, so that you can care for others. And the Sabbath is the life-saving ring that God has given to hold you up so that you can hold others up. And it's such a gift um, that you might think, you know, am I really allowed to enjoy this when you think of what God is giving his people here? Am I really allowed to? And you may feel pressure from other people to say, you know, you can't enjoy God's goodness and blessing in your life. No, there's probably something to do. There's probably another burden to carry, just like the other kids were getting on Henry and saying, how selfish for you to put the ring on yourself. And yet, God has commanded you in the Ten Commandments to receive his gift. So this morning... I want to tell you four reasons why weekly Sabbath is an essential part of your humanity. Four reasons why you will drown without Sabbath. And this is what the four reasons are. Because the Sabbath shapes how you see your work. The Sabbath shapes how you see yourself. The Sabbath shapes how you see other people. And ultimately and most importantly, the Sabbath day shapes how you see God and what God is like. So four reasons why... We need God's precious gift of the Sabbath in our lives, all right? So first reason is this. The Sabbath shapes how we see our work. And I think the main thing that this passage says about work is that work is a good thing, but work is not an end in and of itself. Work is a good thing, but it's not an ultimate thing. And you need both parts of that. So the first thing is that work is good. The Bible dignifies Work. You know, some of you may know in, in the ancient world, Greek society saw that work was to be done by slaves. And, you know, people who had real dignity gave themselves to the leisure and to thinking. But the Bible's very different. The Bible says we are all made in the image of God, and our work is part of the way we reflect God as the creator and the maker of things. Using our hands is important. And the assumption of this passage is that we are working. You don't get to this Sabbath keeping until you've done. Your work, right? Verse nine says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. I think it's crucial for all of us to recognize that our work is a deeply important part of our spiritual lives. I think Christians often don't recognize that or even think about that. But if you think about what is the main way in your life that you're gonna love your neighbor as yourself, it's gonna be through your work. The people you work with, right? Do they like working with you? you know, or you, <laughs> Do you encourage them and support them? Those are your neighbors. They're the ones who have to spend the most hours with you or the people that you serve through your work, You know, your, your customers or your, your patients or your students, your investment in them. They are the neighbors that you spend the most time with. And probably when you think about your sanctification and how God's working in your life, one of the most important places you should be thinking about that is how is God calling me to do my work? It's deeply important. And that's also why um, it really impacts our spiritual lives when we're out of work. You know, some of you may be out of work now, and you realize, wow, when I don't have work to do, it, I, it affects my relationship with God, and God feels distant. Is uh, because work is an essential part of our spiritual life. But even though our vocations and our work are spiritual and should be seen as service to God, we have a tendency to elevate our work too highly. So, you know, maybe you can't turn your work off, and you, maybe you neglect important relationships in your life because there's too much focus on your work. Maybe uh, your work dominates your emotional life. You know, it's work's going well, I'm happy. Work's going bad, I'm sad, I'm moody, I'm in a funk, I'm, I'm depressed. It totally dominates our, our inner and emotional life. Or maybe your whole sense of worth and meaning and value doesn't come from God, but comes from how successful you're being in your work. In all these situations, it means that work is taking a place of ultimacy in our lives that is unhealthy. And that's why this passage says, yes, work is important. Work has dignity. It brings glory to God. But second, work is not an end in and of itself. And uh, you'll notice uh, that this commandment is rooted in the creation story of Genesis chapter 1. And you see that there in verse 11 where it says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is an amazing thing that God himself rested. You know, he did all this work making this beautiful world, and then what did he do after he made the beautiful world? He enjoyed it. You know, he looked at it. He said it was very good. It was beautiful. It gave him pleasure. It gave him joy. He enjoyed the the fruit of his labors. And then when God compared the work days to the Sabbath day, it was the day of rest. The Sabbath day was the one that was holy. It was called holy. And when you call something holy, it means that that day was lifted up. That day was more important than the days of work, which means that rest days are more important than work days. How many of you believe that? That the rest day in your life is more important than the work days. If you can't enjoy the things that your work is leading towards, then your view of work has become disordered. And the keeping of Sabbath is God's way of reordering what is important to us. It's how we learn that work is a good thing and not an ultimate thing, and it's not an end in and of itself. And I'll tell you what happens is when you start to practice Sabbath, weekly Sabbath, it will force you to ask questions like, why is work so important to me? Why can't I enjoy a day of rest? Now, if you have young children, you might hear that and say, well, I know why I can't enjoy a day of rest. is because I've got young children 24-7 who don't give me rest if that's you, I'm sorry. It's the way it is. <laughs> I don't have an answer for you. You just got to get through it. And uh, but for the rest of us, when we start asking that question, why is work so important to me? It leads uh, to a second reason that Sabbath is important, not only because it shapes how we see our work. But second, the Sabbath shapes how we see ourselves. And the commandment here is given very succinctly in verse eight, where it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it Holy. And the holiness of the Sabbath day is expanded on later in Exodus. Exodus chapter 31 has another little section that talks about the Sabbath. And this is what it says there. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbath. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Now, to be sanctified means to have your life changed. And he says it's on the Sabbath that God uses the Sabbath to change our lives. And this is true. If you make the Sabbath, if you've never done that, and then you say one day, you know what, it's going to be a weekly part of my life to keep Sabbath the way the Bible does, I guarantee you it will transform your life and bring beautiful things in your life you never had before. And probably the most important way that it would have transformed the Israelite people who first heard this was that through the Sabbath day um, where their work stopped, they learned that they are no longer slaves. And, the, you know, they'd have had it ingrained in them for generations. You know, they had all these labors put on them by, uh, uh, by Pharaoh and by the Egyptians. And it had been passed down by generations. This is who we are. We are slaves. How do you unlearn that you are a slave. The only thing you are good for is what you produce. Um, they learned through the Sabbath that, that they are blessed even when they don't produce. And they are blessed because, simply because they are God's beloved children. And you and I need to learn that same lesson about ourselves, that our value to God is not based on what we produce. And the way that we learn that is through Sabbath keeping. Your value is not based on what you produce. And you might think, wow, that'd be powerful to know that about myself that God loves me not based on all the things I accomplished for Him or do for Him, but He, his, he loved me first before I did anything. But what does God want me to do on the Sabbath to teach me that lesson? Well, a couple of weeks ago, I was running with Nick Kelly. He's a member of our church, and I, I run with him, and we always end up talking about my sermons and, you know, <laughs> the sermon that's, that's coming up, and um, one of the things that we talked about was the topic of margin, and, you know, maybe some of you have had someone say that to you. You need more margin in your life. I, I've had people say that to me. You need more margin in your life, and if you think, what is margin, when I think of the word margin, I think about the margin on a piece of paper, you know, that you leave this blank space on the edge of the paper. You don't have the writing go all the way to the edge of the paper. You know, it's kind of stressful to look at all that writing. You've got to leave some space, uh, some blank space. And that similarly, we need to have some blank space in our lives. Don't fill your life all the way to the edges. You need to have some margin there. Well, let me share with you two problems I have with the idea of margin. First of all, it's not really blank space. Probably when someone told you that you need to have more margin in your life, they said that because they wanted to fill that margin with something. (laughs) It's probably them. You know, maybe they had a church ministry they wanted you to do. You know, if you had more margin, you could do this thing that I wanted you to do. Or, you know, your family or, you know, relationships that want to be filled. So it doesn't really end up being blank space. The second problem I have with margin is that even if it is blank space, I, I don't know if this is a personality thing or maybe it's a male thing, but... I have trouble with an aimless day. You know, I don't know what we're doing today. There's no plan. And that's what blank space says to me. And I find aimlessness to, be, um, uh, uh, make, to make me restless, not restful. And so instead of margin, I think the Bible says that what we need is Sabbath. And Sabbath is different because Sabbath is something that is much more intentional than blank space. In order to learn to see ourselves as someone that God loves as his beloved child, someone that God wants to give good things to, there are a few things in this passage that God says to fill our Sabbath with. What are they? Well, the first most important thing to fill your Sabbath with is, of course, God himself. And we'll come back to that later, later in the sermon. But you will not find the rest that the Bible intends for you. Without God. It's not just taking a day off. He is the source of rest. Second thing, though, is a do-nothingness. And I, the, the Hebrew word for Sabbath really means to stop or to cease what you've been, whatever you're being, to not do. And, you know, take a nap, sit on the front porch and stare at a tree. I like doing that. Uh, read a book, watch a movie, fiddle around in the shop, you know, with a hobby, now, you might say, I thought you did, said you didn't like blank space. That sounds aimless. If the plan is to do nothing, I'm fine with it. As long as we had decided, and it's, there's an intentionality that I know that we're going to accomplish nothing, and I'm going to take a nap, then we, we did the plan. It was intentional. And God says, you need to plan that into your life. It is not just blank space to be filled. The third thing that we should fill our, our Sabbath with is God, do nothingness, The third thing is family. You see that there in verse 10 where it says, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter. If you are a parent, the Sabbath is a time to be with your children and to enjoy them, and it's a time for them to be with you and to enjoy you. And, you know, I've often had the thought that I wanted the Sabbath to be the best day of the week for my kids. I wanted them growing up thinking that they were looking forward to it all week. It was the day of, you know, we're together, we do happy things, maybe we have special food, maybe you buy ice cream on the Sabbath because they know I'm gonna get special things on the Sabbath um, because the Lord is good. We worked all week and we're working towards this time of God's abundance to us. And to have it be in a way that, you know, maybe when they ask for something that you'd normally say no to, you say, well, you know, it's the Lord's Day, so yes. You know, they'd rem- remember you saying that, you know. Well, yes on the Lord's Day because the Lord is good and he wants you uh, to be happy. So uh, they would say, my parents were yes on the Lord's Day. And so that's why, that's how God is. That's what, how God is in the Sabbath is he's yes to us. He's open-handed. He's like, enjoy what I've given you. And I think the fourth thing that's related to that, that, that we should fill our Sabbath with, is God's creation. You might say nature. And I already mentioned that, that that's God's Sabbath. That's what he did. He created the earth in in six days. On the seventh day, he enjoyed what he had made. And we should enter into that enjoyment with him. Now, I'll tell you, if you one day a week say, I'm going to worship God with an open heart, I'm going to enjoy his creation with his people and with the people in my family, the people who are close to me in my life. Do that on a regular basis. It will change your life. It really will. And it's a gift, it's not a burden. It's a gift that God has given to you. And it will show you that God really loves you as a father loves his children, not as a boss needs his employee. God does not love you for what you produce, He wants to share with you what He has. And so the Sabbath shapes, first of all, our view of work, that work is good, but it's not ultimate. It's not an end in and of itself. And the Sabbath shapes how we see ourselves, that we are not slaves that are just here to produce. We are God's beloved children that he wants to share his goodness with. Okay. But if you read through the Bible, you'll find that there's another important component to Sabbath keeping. That's our third reason for keeping the Sabbath, is that the Sabbath shapes also how we see others, how we see other people. And you'll notice that this passage has a deep concern for people outside of the immediate family of the Israelites. Again in verse 10. But this seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your your son or your daughter, your male servant, you might read, you know, your employees or people who work for you, your female servant Or your livestock, I I love that the animals get in here. It's like, the animals need Sabbath. God loves animals. You know, he feeds all the animals that are in the woods. He makes them homes and things. And he's like, make sure the animals get the Sabbath. And then, or the sojourner who's within your gates. And uh, there's a profound sense in which this passage says, I am giving you rest, but share that rest with others. Share it. And I can't help but think, you know, that little phrase, within your gates, who do you share your rest with? The people that are within your gates. The gate defines this little world. All of us have a little world that God has given us dominion over, you know, that it's our little kingdom. And, you know, that could be your house. Maybe if you have a business, that's your little kingdom. Or, you know, just maybe even your neighborhood, your, your network of relationships you have. This is a sphere of influence that God has entrusted to you. And he's saying, bring rest into that sphere of influence, and that all those people in that sphere of influence should be learning with you, through you, that they are not simply valuable for what they produce, but they are valuable because God loves them. And so we need to share our Sabbath. And actually, if you read in the Gospels about our Lord, Jesus loved to heal on the Sabbath. It was a big part of controversy because he'd loved to bring good, you know, bring healing and restoration, and people who were outcasts. He'd bring them in. The day he loved to do it, it was on the Sabbath. And many of us feel that, you know, throughout the week, we're trying to learn to love our neighbors and to be an influence in wherever God has called us, and yet, you know, our lives are so busy with, you know, I got to do my work, and I got to care for my family, and how much space do I have in my week to really give myself to God's kingdom? And what the Lord is saying is take one day, one out of seven, where you say, this is my focus. It's the kingdom of God. This is the day of God's new creation, the day of God's kingdom. And I, I'm not sure I can do it yet on seven days, but I'm going to try to do it on one day. And, you know, we can do that. And so what the Sabbath does is it opens our eyes, it opens our lives to other people to welcome them in. But I know some of you may hear that and, and say, okay, that's a beautiful idea. But if every Sunday... I got ready for church, maybe got my kids ready for church, if you have kids, and maybe I served here on Sunday morning, I was volunteering on Sunday morning, and then I went to church and I talked with people for a long time after, and then I went home and I made a bunch of food and I had a bunch of people over to my house, and they spent the afternoon with me, that would be great, but the one thing it would not be is rest. (laughs) And so how can I have rest that I really enjoy and share it with others? Now, I think you will find some rest and enjoyment in being with God's people. I'm not saying that's not, it's totally not restful, but I think this is a challenging question. I, I've wrestled with it. I'm not sure how to answer it. The Bible is filled with tensions like this. But um, I think one answer to that question could come in the verse that we read from chapter 23. And if you look at that, chapter 23, verse 10, says this. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. So apparently in Israel, it wasn't just that they had a rest day every week, but every seven years, they would have a whole year of rest. And uh, they would just let their fields grow. And a, a field that is not tended to, has a certain wildness about it. You know, the plants aren't growing in rows, and there are weeds everywhere, and there's grass growing. And yet, out of this wild disorder comes food for the poor and the outcast. And the animals, there the animals are again, come wandering into the field, and they eat it, and they enjoy it. And I think we often think that opening our lives to others, being hospitable... Sharing our life means that all our fields must be perfectly tilled in straight rows and everything must be perfectly weeded. Everything must be straight and orderly instead of just welcoming people into the normal wildness of our lives. And now, some of you, you know, on Sunday, maybe cooking a special meal for people. You know, the Sabbath is a feast day. You may enjoy that, they may give you rest. Praise the Lord. Enjoy that rest. But if that makes you anxious to think on, I'm, on Sunday I'm putting on a show for the people that I'm inviting into my Sabbath, uh, if that makes you anxious, bring people into what is really restful for you. Bring people into who you really are. For you are mostly a blessing to people when Jesus rests has entered your heart and you are loving people out of that rest. Not when you're trying to perform for them because they feel that anxiousness as well. And this leads to our last most important point that the Sabbath not only shapes how we see our work and ourselves and others, but the most important rest we receive on the Sabbath is a deep inner rest of the soul. It is a rest that comes not from simply taking a day off, taking a day off won't work, but this is our last point, is that the Sabbath shapes how we see God. And that speaks to us at a very deep level. And, you know, it's interesting for most of us, if, if you were to say, well, what's the main thing you do on the Sabbath? Most of us would probably say, well, you go to church. Worship is what I do on the Lord's Day, on Sundays. But it's striking there's no mention of worship anywhere in this passage. God doesn't say you should go worship. He, the main thing he says is he wants you to rest. So why do we worship on The Sabbath? Well, there are other places in the Bible. You know, Leviticus says on the Sabbath, you're supposed to have a holy convocation. All God's people are supposed to come together. And uh, Jesus always went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And the early church, they met on the first day of the week, and they always gathered together in these regular rhythms. And even in this text, it says in verse 10, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So you can't enjoy the rest of Sabbath without God himself. Uh, Some of you know Augustine's famous quote, where he says, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, in the Lord. We will have no inner rest until God has given us that inner rest. And I wonder if one of the reasons why the Lord left out worship from this commandment is he knows that we have a tendency to make religious observance burdensome, that it's not restful, it's more work. It's more tiring. It's more laying on uh, of burdens on our shoulders. And so the Lord wants to insist, that's not what I'm doing here. This day is about rest, or the, this is the way Jesus put it. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It is a gift. And I'll tell you, this, this view of the Sabbath, that it's, that it's a gift, it's a day of blessing, was a unique innovation in the ancient Near East. You know, you notice there in verse eight how it says, remember the Sabbath? That means the Sabbath already existed before the Ten Commandments came along. Uh, they'd already heard about it. And other ancient people had forms of, of Sabbath too. For example, the, the Mesopotamians uh, who worshiped the moon god had a Sabbath on the 7th, the 14th, the 21st, and the 28th days of the month. And It was a day to worship these deities. And, but they weren't fast day, They weren't feast days. They were fasting days where they wouldn't eat. And the reason that they wouldn't work was because they believed that these were days not of blessing, but of bad luck. And these days are bad luck, so you don't want to do any work because your work will probably go wrong. <laughs> so just avoid any work that day because it won't succeed. And so they were trying to appease these gods that were bringing bad luck into their lives. And you hear that and you say, the Israelite Sabbath is. Pretty much the exact opposite. Here's a nation of slaves that God is saying, I want you to feast. I want to bless you. And many of us really believe deep down that God is a slave master. That God mainly wants work and obedience out of you. That's how we see God. And I think this answer is why worship has to be a part of our weekly Sabbath is because there is a deeper work that we need rest from than simply the work of our bodies. We have an anxiety in us that turns everything we do into a kind of slavery. It drives us to always need to prove ourselves. It drives us to be critical of ourselves and to be critical of others. It drives us to never think our work is done. And some of us can't even enjoy sleep, the rest of sleep, because the motor of this anxiety is always running inside of us. Can you relate to that? Psalm 127 describes it this way. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. There is an anxious toil in you and in me that simply taking a day off will not address. This anxious toil will burn right through your day off. It'll swallow up your day off. It is the Lord Lord alone who gives to his beloved rest, deep rest. And there is no Sabbath without the Lord of Sabbath, the Lord of rest. And how does the Lord give you that rest? The most important answer to that is that when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he said it is finished. And what that means is that everything that we have to prove in life, all the work that we should do, he has already done in our place. And all the work that we have failed in, he has died for. In Jesus, our work is finished. In Jesus, there's nothing left to prove. And that's why he is the only cure to the anxious toil, and you only learn this in worship. And what's really interesting is many of you know the Sabbath day changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it was the seventh day of the week. You worked all day, all week trying to get to your rest. Now, our Sabbath's on the first day of the week. And we do all of our work, we do all our week out of a place of rest. We've already received our rest we are beginning our week approved by God with nothing left to prove. And then what we do is we carry into our week that rest, a kind of non-anxious presence. We bring that into our workplace. All the anxiety of our workplace, we bring a non-anxious presence. I have nothing to prove. I don't have to take myself seriously. I've already enjoyed God's riches. I'm already entered into the new creation. I, there's nothing, nothing left for me to prove. My work is done And it is a gift of rest that we bring into every everywhere that we walk. Simply having a day off won't give you this. Only Jesus can. And so the question for us this morning is, have you received the command, the moral imperative, where God says, you must rest, and you must find your rest in me? Is Sabbath a committed weekly part of our lives. Have you put on the lifesaver ring like Henry did (laughs) so that you are floating so that you can help others float? You can hold others up that's holding you up because the Sabbath is God's way of saying to you, you are no longer slaves, but you are my beloved children. Rest and enjoy my blessing. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we praise you that the true and living God is a God who desires to give us rest, to bring us in to your Sabbath rest. Lord, you know how deeply the anxious toil turns and labors in our souls. We pray that you would bring our hearts to Christ, who has said "As it is finished, that we might rest in his perfect work and know that we have nothing left to prove because we are approved in him. Speak to us and make us a community that shares our rest with others. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.